Welcome to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. My name's Kim Aquaviva and I'm your host. This season, we're exploring people's lived experiences of diversity and difference in the healthcare arena. We're on this journey together, so let us know your thoughts about this episode. Tweet your comments to us at at em underscore dash underscore podcast. So welcome to MDASH, Dr. Levine. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks. So first off, I'd like to know how you would like to be addressed. If you prefer to go by Rachel, if you'd like Dr. Levine, what is most comfortable for you? I think Rachel is great. Okay, great. And I will go by Kim as well. And do you have preferred pronouns that you would like to use? Uh, Female pronouns. Okay, great. And my preferred pronouns are female as well. So thanks so much for coming on the show. So first off, I want to start with hearing a little bit about what are some of the words you use to describe yourself in terms of your identities? Um, I am an openly transgender woman. Okay. And any other words that you use to describe yourself? Well, um, I'm the physician general for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, I'm, a, I'm a doctor. Um, I'm a parent. Uh, I'm a daughter. Um, hopefully a you know, compassionate person. There you go. Right. And a huge Joni Mitchell fan I saw I, in I, an interview. Yes, that's exactly correct. <laughs> Joni Mitchell, um, Carly Simon, and Carol King. Uh, well, you know, I was, I was planning a surprise that I was really hoping I would be able to unveil to you, but uh, instead I will unveil the failed surprise, which is when we booked our interview together, I had done some research, I saw you were a Joni Mitchell fan, and so I reached out to Sony to try to get permission to use a 20-second clip of Hannah um, at the end of the show. And I've been negotiating back and forth this whole time, and they couldn't get in touch with the writer to get permission. So uh, so the intention was there, but uh, imagine me singing 20 seconds badly of a Joni Mitchell song. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the the spirit of it. Thanks. So how have your identities influenced the way you approach your work with patients and families? Well, so, you know, I have been uh, a physician for many years. Um, I graduated from medical school in 1983. Um, I finished my training in 1988 uh, in, in uh, New York City. And then I was at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital and Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City for, for a number of years. And uh, so being a physician is really part of, of my identity. Um, I have uh, two wonderful children, and so uh, that, uh, being a parent, is, is really a, a blessing. Um, but uh, I, I think that being an openly transgender woman has certainly made me, um, help me understand people better, understand um, sometimes the things that they're dealing with and, and, as a, and, and help me in my, in my field. Uh, and now, of course, um, you know, I, I, I had to leave practice to become physician general, so things have, have moved on to the public health arena. And so one of the things that I do uh, for Governor Wolf is I chair the work group for LGBT issues under the auspices of the governor's policy office. So we work on many different issues uh, which, which we can talk about. And so I think that my many identities has uh, informed my work uh, all through my career. Fantastic. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, you mentioned some of the work that you're doing. What are some of the things that you're working on now that you'd like to share with folks? Sure. So um, as Physician General, I'm a member of Governor Wolf's cabinet, 
and um, I have a number of different priorities um, and one of them again is, is LGBT uh, health issues as well as really all LGBT issues. So we have a monthly meeting uh, under the governor's policy office and we have all of the agencies uh, participate and so we have worked with the Department of Health on uh, LGBT health disparities. We have worked with the Department of Human Services which regulates Medicaid. So for instance Pennsylvania Medicaid will cover gender confirmation treatment and all of its different aspects. We have worked with closely with the Department of Education uh, to support LGBT students and particularly uh, transgender students. That's a, a particular issue uh, right now with, um, uh, with the Trump administration withdrawing the Title IX guidance uh, from the Obama administration's Department of Education. In addition, we've worked with the Department of Corrections and tried to advocate for LGBT individuals and in, transgender individuals in particular in corrections. We've networked with the Pennsylvania State Police, with Military and Veterans Affairs, with the Department of, of Commerce, really um, all the different uh, departments. So, um, so when I get to uh, speak uh, frequently uh, throughout Pennsylvania on those issues and to uh, advocate for LGBT issues on behalf of Governor Wolf, who is uh, a firm supporter of our community. So uh, in addition, uh, one of the other main priorities has been uh, the opioid epidemic, and that has involves uh, prescription drug abuse, heroin abuse, and resulting overdoses, and that has certainly fit my skill set in, in terms of that interface between medical issues and mental and behavioral health issues. Mm -hmm. So when you so a lot of the work that you're doing in Pennsylvania, really groundbreaking, uh, very innovative, strong advocacy focus, and Pennsylvania and under Governor Wolf doing dynamic work in the area of LGBTQ issues. Um, how are you feeling right now? Or I, I don't know if you can comment on it. How you're feeling about what's going on with the Trump administration um, sure. right now? So um, again, uh, thank you for your for your comments. Uh, Governor Wolf uh, and the administration are strong supporters of our community, and uh, you know I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled to uh, to work um, under Governor Wolf's leadership on uh, and to advocate uh, for the community. I think that um, that aspects of the Trump administration are challenging for LGBT individuals so you know we'll see what other things he's, he, he does but right now uh, the withdrawal of the title IX guidance um, has been um, the word I use in a recent op-ed is heartbreaking you know mm. to see uh, to see transgender youth um, be put more at risk you know uh, transgender youth are uh, a significantly vulnerable population uh, vulnerable to harassment and bullying and we all need to really support um, our transgender youth. Uh, studies have shown that uh, transgender youth that live in a supportive, with a supportive family, um, with a nurturing community, including their schools, have uh, and proper medical treatment, have absolutely fantastic um, outcomes in, in medical issues and behavioral health issues. Uh, transgender youth that that might have uh, issues in their family that have non-supportive schools and communities uh, suffer increased mental health issues, including uh, depression, substance use, and an increased rate of suicide. So, you know, the, the data is very clear that uh, we all then do everything we can to to support transgender youth. Um, in, in schools and in all environments. So by having the Trump administration withdraw that uh, withdraw that guidance um, has made things much more difficult. Uh, recently today, the Supreme Court 
has sent back um, the case uh, in Virginia back to the uh, to, to the to the court in Virginia. So they will not be taking that up uh, in in March uh, because that original decision was based upon the Title IX guidance, which has been withdrawn. So uh, there are other cases working their way through, but um, right now I think that we all need to uh, to to uh, work together to support LGBT youth and in particular transgender young people. Good guidance and and very positive and measured uh, in terms of how you're presenting it. And I think that's exactly how all of us need to be right now uh, is trying to figure out ways forward um, because it is a challenging time. That's right. So we'll have to see what other um, what other uh, potential um, concerning issues um, come out of Washington. But that's the main one that that has been uh, put forward so far. Well, it sounds like in Pennsylvania, you all are doing everything that you can to look out for trans youth in Pennsylvania. Um, and so that is heartening uh, in light of the, the disheartening news uh, in terms of Title IX. It's heartening to hear that Pennsylvania has this as a strong, a strong focus and a commitment to transgender youth. It does. Uh, so Governor Wilk have, you know, has basically said uh, in the administration that uh, we have their back um, and we will do everything we can to support LGBT youth and LGBT individuals in, in general. Uh, we have three strong um, stakeholders uh, in the community as part of our work group, and that includes Equality Pennsylvania, the statewide um, uh, LGBT Advocacy Association, uh, the Pennsylvania Youth Congress, um, which works with high school and college students and actually even middle school students, um, as well as Transcentral PA, which is a, a transgender support group in Harrisburg, and they all, they all have, uh, have helped us in that work group. Fantastic. Um, now, as a physician, um, who also happens to be transgender, and, and I want to say it that way because really you are a physician and that is, um, that is who you are by training. That's and right. being trans is just who you are by birth. This is who you are and this is uh, the person that you are. So as a physician who happens to be transgender, have you come into situations or run across situations where other healthcare professionals reacted negatively when they realized that the sex you were assigned at birth differs from your gender identity and expression? You know, I, I would have to admit that I am extremely fortunate, it is I really have not. Um, so I transitioned um, uh, about six or so years ago um, at the Penn State Hershey Medical Center and the Penn State College of Medicine. I worked very closely with the Department of, uh, with the Office of Diversity and the Human Resources Department. Um, I had the support of our dean and my chair. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they had a non-discrimination policy that included sexual orientation at that time. Uh, and with myself as a test case, they actually expanded the non-discrimination uh, policy that they had to include um, gender identity and expression sort of the quote-unquote Levine policy, and, <laughs> and, the, and I was really not just, ex, not just, and of course, not tolerated, not just accepted, I was welcomed um, at Penn State Hershey. In fact, um, after my transition, uh, the, the interim chair uh, promoted me to vice chair of pediatrics. So I really did not discuss, um, suffer discrimination um, at the medical center. And um, my patients, uh, my colleagues in the administration were overwhelmingly supportive. And, you know, that's right here in central Pennsylvania. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, um, I became the physician general. Uh, and, and that was that was really interesting. Um, of course, I had to be confirmed by the overwhelmingly conservative state <laughs> senate. 
And, Which is always a good time to have to be you know, confirmed. And so I uh, got to meet all 50 state senators and come into their offices and shake their hand and talk about public health which was a learning experience for me uh, to learn about how state government worked and was probably a learning experience to them uh, to, to meet an openly transgender individual. And uh, to their great credit, they, they really simply um, uh, judged my candidacy and my, uh, based upon my, my uh, medical and academic qualifications. And one of the things I'm most proud of is I was unanimously confirmed by the Pennsylvania wow. State Senate in June of 2015. That's so fantastic. I have, you know, uh, unless I bring it up um, in, in the context of LGBT advocacy, it is an absolute non-issue. So when I go around the state uh, talking about um, opioids, which I mentioned has been a priority, mm -hmm. uh, talking about overdoses and different ways that we need to prevent and treat uh, prevent overdoses and treat patients with the disease of addiction, uh, it is an absolute non-issue. If I'm talking about other public health issues, whether it's flu or Zika virus, it is a non-issue. Um, so I admit that I have been very, very fortunate. At the same time, we have to remember that um, individuals in the, in the LGBT community, in particular the transgender community, are vulnerable and at risk, uh, particularly um, LGBT individuals and transgender individuals of color. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, every, every week we hear about um, individuals who've been harmed or even murdered. Um, and so, you know, we have made progress in, in many ways and we have a long way to go in other ways. And I think yeah. that we have to, 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 uh, to, to really reach out to particularly um, vulnerable communities and help them. I'm glad that you mentioned the piece about about folks of color, because as a white lesbian, I know for myself, I enjoy quite a bit of privilege uh, because of the color of my skin. And I do not experience the same kinds of discrimination that uh, lesbians of color experience. Mm -hmm. So I was curious, it, it, the question I was going to ask you as a follow up was, how much of your experience do you think may be a reflection of um, some of the privilege that has come both from being white and being a physician. Uh, but you you've, you've, you've kind of answered the question um, in a way in terms of acknowledging that that certainly trans people of color have have different experiences. That's right. And, and you know, I'm fortunate on many in, in many regards. You know, I went to uh, I went to the Belmont Hill School, you know, a private school in the Boston area. It was an all male prep school, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> and I also um, went to Harvard, and then I went to Tulane. Med you know, I've had Tulane Medical School, and I, I've had um, you know great fortune, and, and I'm very appreciative. But I realize that my experience is very different than many other people's experience. Well, I think one of the the advantages of having someone like you, and when I say someone like you, I mean a person with insight and the ability to reflect on how they are different from others, but the similarities. Um, privilege sometimes opens doors for people to be in a position to change things for others who don't yet have privilege. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the work that you're doing and being such a strong advocate for both LGBTQ folks, but also persons struggling with the disease of addiction, um, you're clearly using any of the skills that you've 
uh, obtained or the platforms you've obtained through privilege, you're using it for a greater good. Well, and that's the goal, you know. Um, so at, at when I was at uh, the medical center, I had a fantastic job, right? So all I did was help people. Um, I saw patients and young people and tried to help them. I saw, I taught students how to help people. I uh, developed programs about how to help people or did research about how to help people better. And so when I took this position, I wanted to do um, a similar type of work, but, but, you know, through a public health lens, you know, mm -hmm. with, a, with a broader brush, so to speak. And uh, uh, under Governor Wolf's leadership, um, I, I'm thankful that I, I think that we've been able to do that and will continue to do that during his term. Now, uh, one question that I have, and it may seem like a silly question, but I, I'm always curious about different people's lived experiences. And you've had the unique experience of living life as a physician who was living in an outwardly male appearing body and living life as a physician in an outwardly female body. Mm -hmm. um, did you, have you seen or did you notice differences in terms of how people interacted with you or, um, or is it about the same? I have to say it's been about the same. Um, there have been a couple of experiences. I remember a family that I was speaking to that um, uh, with their daughter who had an eating disorder and the parents were arguing about something and, and I was trying to get the parents to, 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 quiet, uh, to be quiet because the young person was getting very upset. And, you know, I used my usual regular voice um, as doing that. But actually I had to use, uh, to get everyone to be quiet, I had to actually stand up and use, uh, and use my male voice, which was hmm. interesting to get everyone to listen to me. Interesting. Um, there was another experience with, uh, with a salesperson where, you know, they wouldn't really listen to me. Um, and uh, and asked me, you know, well, you know, can you just bring your husband in so we can hear this? Oh, no. I, I I just laughed, but um, it does show you the, uh, the the male privilege that that exists in our society. So I've had a few um, interesting experiences, but for the most part, actually. Um, I, I'm not sure it's been all that different. And that might be because, again, I'm a physician and there's a certain amount of uh, privilege that comes just with that, whether you're, whether you're male or female. Well, and I think some of it sounds like Pennsylvania is just an awesome place to be uh, in terms of how you were treated at Penn State, uh, your experiences there um, with within state government. Um, I went to college and grad school in Pennsylvania, so I have a, straw, a, a fond spot in my heart for Pennsylvania. Um, but it certainly seems as though Pennsylvania is at the forefront of inclusion and recognizing that diversity brings strength as opposed to diversity being a weakness. Um, so. Thank you. I think that we're making a lot of progress in Pennsylvania, but I, I think that we still have a long way to go sure. um, th uh, th throughout the state. But again, uh, Governor Wolf's leadership has been, has been wonderful. I must say one of the biggest transitions I ever had in my life was actually moving from Manhattan, 80th and 1st, <laughs> to rural central Pennsylvania in 1993. I still think that that was the biggest transition I had. Really? Well, what made it such a big transition? Well, um, I, I left uh, 80th and 1st in Manhattan, where I had a, a one-bedroom a, a one apartment, um, and then bought a house and two cars for less money than that apartment. <laughs> Um, that apartment in 1993 was, uh, two th was uh, 820 square feet, uh, wow. and the insider price in 1993 was $325,000, wow. and it goes now for $1,000 per square foot. So if wow. you wonder why you might not live in Manhattan, it's because an 820-square-foot apartment costs $820,000. Wow. Um, so coming to central Pennsylvania, um, you know, where uh, it's really quite rural in, in, in many places, was just a, a dramatic change. And I've been here really now for almost 24 years.
Well, it sounds like you love Pennsylvania, and it sounds like Pennsylvania loves you as well. Uh, you're doing great work there, and Thank you. certainly you've been welcomed with open arms because of the skills that you bring. You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. Tweet your questions, comments, and suggestions to at em underscore dash underscore podcast. Music used in this episode of MDASH came from John Wright, who provided both the intro and outro music. Titles and links to songs used are available in the notes for this show.